podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Wisden Cricket Daily Podcast, brought to you by Travelback, creating holidays packed full of exciting memories since 1979. With over two weeks and 19 group stages to go, 19 group stages to go, the semi-finalists are all but finalised. I'm Yaz Rana and today I'm joined by the magazine editor of the Wisden Cricket Monthly magazine, Joe Harmon. How's it going? Oh Yaz, good to be here. Um, are you as despondent as me about the tournament's level of excitement at the moment? It's not great, is it, that we've got just under three weeks of the group stage left and, and basically the semi-finalists decided. It's, I think it's been a little bit unfortunate, the weighting of the games. A lot of the closer contests have just come at the end of the, the group stage when things are going to be decided already. So it's, it's not great, um, but we, we crack on. Yeah, we crack on. And for the first time, we're delighted and very grateful to be joined by a former England Test captain, Mark Butcher. Great to have you on, Mark. Very, very good to be here after a, after a long old day watching uh, the Bangladesh team spiritedly fail to chase down 380 against Australia. Did you have a standout moment for the day that stuck in your mind? Um, no, not really. Um, it, it was kind of, it could have been great, it had Australia not got sort of 30, uh, 30 as many runs as they did. I think 380 was just out of, is out of anybody's reach. But Bangladesh, I mean, if Bangladesh had, had, had batted first and put 300 and something on the ball, we might have had a contest on our hands. But um, but that way around, it was always going to be very difficult for them to, to chase it down. So, um, no, I mean, you know, David Warner got 160 and didn't really look like he played that well. So, I mean... <laughs> Australia's still got plenty in the tank, I'm afraid. So um, that's a bit of a worry, considering they're quite good at winning World Cups. He's supposedly out of Nick. He started slowly, um, but you can't really complain when you get 166 of 147. Um, he's had quite an odd tournament. He had a prolific IPL where he looked like he was in supreme form. But it's, it's, it's crazy that we're saying this, but he's looked like he's kind of struggled. Or is he, or has he been asked to play a different role to, to what he normally plays? No, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that that's the case because I saw he was battling with himself um, for the first 20 overs today and kind of Aaron Finch was nursing him through you know during the power play just trying to reassure him that it was all okay you could see how agitated he was that he wasn't um, you know his feet weren't moving as well as normal and he wasn't picking up the length so well Um, I just you know sometimes you you move to a different country that the conditions are slightly different you're playing in a different format 20 over and 50 over cricket and these guys aren't robots you're not always in great nick you're not always smashing the ball out the middle of the bat and he's just go he's just gone through <laughs> what looks like a bit of a sticky patch and made 166 <laughs> well it says a lot for his temperament at the moment that he's he's stuck in there what there was the one shot against india where he really got behind the run rate and, and played a loose shot and got out otherwise he's just stayed in and stayed in backing himself to to come good and that's not really the one we've necessarily seen in, in previous years it does look like he's kind of approaching his innings in a, in a slightly different yeah, way yeah it could be i mean he, he was at pains to mention that he was much older now and kind of with that comes a, a certain amount of wisdom you know a year out of the game might give you a bit of that too um but um i also think that against against india if if they get you under the cosh they're not going to let you off Mm. you know i mean that's a that's one of the better bowling attacks um in the in the tournament if not the best uh and so therefore you're more likely to kind of lose your rag and slog one up in the air against them than you will be against bangladesh where you can perhaps just think to yourself well if i see this out at some point i'm gonna i'm gonna find my touch and it's gonna get easier because they simply don't have the backup bowlers that uh, that the indian team have got yeah i was gonna say as well i mean we can say roy and bairstow come out and play so with so much freedom but they they've got such a exceptional middle order to come they can they can play their shots as it happens they don't usually get out either but they can take that level of risk whereas if Warner and Finch go in the first five ten overs Australia are in real trouble there aren't they yeah I mean it's something that they have to guard against more more than England but um you know 50 overs is still a, a bloody long time you know um as was proved today it didn't get off to a great start but still made 166 and at one point um again he said if he was if he was in his youth he might have been thinking very seriously about making a double hundred he, he was you know 100 120 130 140 with with more than 10 overs to go um but he said he just got he, he felt a little bit fatigued towards the end there and it, it seemed like it was a bridge too far but look i mean listen i don't want to get despondent about the tournament at this point yet because even though it looks as though the um the the, the four have been decided i mean it really could have done with South Africa and Bangladesh winning the last two days in order to kind of to to ignite um, the tournament and kind of quell our natural cynicism from kicking in. Uh, (laughs) But... Uh, because of the fact that the the fixtures have turned out where you know all the the big four teams all tend uh, tend to be playing each other towards the back end, it might be that t- teams could sneak up um, you know below the radar. And and the one 
funnily enough, the one perhaps most likely to do that for me has been Bangladesh. You know, they look look to have perhaps they needed a win today. They need they did need a win today, but they're still but they're still in front of you know they're still in front of the West Indies. South Africa are gone. They're not they're not making it. Um, Sri Lanka somehow because of, by virtue of the fact that they've ended up with a win from washed out games. You know, two two washed the out rain's games. Not helped. The games that have been rained off haven't helped us. No, exactly because there were points up for grabs there between teams that you know well, teams that desperately needed them. Bangladesh, teams, Pakistan, and West Indies all lost a point basically. Yeah, because of the rain. Those yeah. are three teams that really needed every point. And, Tr- and Sri Lanka, I suppose you could argue that Sri Lanka might have got Maybe four points instead of two, that, but yeah. no, it's very unlikely. But you're absolutely right. So there have been points robbed off, uh, robbed off teams who desperately needed them in matches where they where they had a chance, where either team had a chance of winning. Um, but what but what could possibly happen? And this is more out of hope than uh, than any sort of knowledge. Is that with the with the with the big teams all playing each other, loaded towards the back end of qualifying, that they're going to be robbing points off another, and maybe somebody might be able to in it'll probably be only one team you know, there's only going to be one there's only, yeah and there's only going to be one spot available because there's, you know there's, there's there's no chance whatsoever that that two teams are going to be able to muster up enough of a winning run to uh, to nip in in front of the, the the four that are up there already but one one might have to look over its shoulder and even failing that what we'd still have is some very very good sides playing each other at the back end of the group stage preparing for the semi-finals filling each other out these are still going to be great games to watch, even if there's not as much riding yeah. on them as we might have hoped. Yeah, the, the lack of there's, there'll be a lack of jeopardy, but there'll still be great contests. You know, we, well, there's some special players playing in this World Cup, by the way. Um, you know, the some of the fast bowling has been has been epic. Um, you know, the, 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 in the top four, you've got Bumrah and you've got the two boys from from New Zealand, Henry and uh, and uh, Lockie Ferguson. Yeah. Um, you got Stark and Cummins bowling quick for them. You got Archer and Wood for us. Um, you know there there's some serious bowling knocking around. Mohamir as well. He's that yeah, brilliant. Absolutely. So um, you know that's been a, a real feature. Um, contrary to the to the sort of the idea that the bowler's job is 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 worthless in in the World Cup. Of course it's not. They win you the World Cup regardless. Teams, teams also build up towards the World Cup. So we have these great players on the show. They haven't actually been playing all together in the same team in the lead up to the World Cup. Uh, so that, from a fan's perspective, is great to see the very best players always playing. You don't really see that in bilateral series. But teams don't really care in bilateral series. A lot of teams, Australia, for example, have experimented so much with their with their players going into World Cup. I mean, they play 33 players in the in the year and a half leading up to the World Cup. And, and other Pakistan, countries Pakistan and India, who both lost to Australia doing exactly that. Even England well. had 25. And did you think England were one of the most settled sides going into World Cup? So teams don't play their best team going into World Cup. So that's obviously great to see. I think uh, the, the rain has really robbed us of, I think, of, of a really thrilling final. But also, Pakistan in 1992 had exactly the same start, three points from five games they have in in, uh, in 2019. Uh, so it's not over That yet. would be one Pakistan. hell of a story. Exactly, Pakistan win exactly. it from here. Going back to today's game quickly, I think Maxwell is extraordinary. He scores 32 of 10 balls. And that 32 is so valuable because he's probably added 15 runs to his team's total from 10 balls in another batsman would have done in that time. And that takes, that took Australia to something that was just a bit too far for Bangladesh, really. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, it's impossible to... It, it is very, very difficult to imagine what the difference would have been in the run chase had Australia scored 340. Because one of the things that is very difficult to, to, to factor in, particularly for people who have not been on the... You know, been out there chasing chasing down big totals, um, is the fact that the fact that when you start to get close and think you can win is when it starts to become even more difficult. So had Australia only made 340... Just because Bangladesh made 333 and got very close, five down, six down, whatever it is, they might have only got 290 chasing 340. Do you understand? It's kind of the, yeah. the, the idea, pressure that comes with the game coming, drawing to a conclusion is so much greater that the way that you play and the, and the way that the things that are possible change somehow. I get your point, but isn't that also the same for the fielding side? Australia were in complete yeah. control of, of defending the target and they never really had the pressure that you would have got had Bangladesh had that kind of start. Perhaps, yeah, for sure. But but I still think, you know, despite, in again, we go back to the sort of difference between bilateral series and, and, uh, and World Cups. In bilateral series, everyone was sort of saying, oh, well, let, you know, teams are, teams are all going to be chasing, you know, chase, the chase is the way to go. Well, it hasn't been the way to go at all. Teams have been putting big totals on the board and asking teams to chase under pressure. 11 against 2 out there in the middle, the sort of the traditional way of, of playing the game. And that is because in bilateral series, there's another game two days down the road and it kind of there, there isn't the same pressure as playing for two points in a World Cup. Um, and so even though we've seen brilliant run chases, Bangladesh against West Indies being the prime example, um, teams have put big totals on the board have won the games, haven't they? Something that a lot of people said is that the, the quality of games hasn't been that high. We haven't had that many close games recently. Yes, yesterday's game aside, 
side. Um, oh, yeah, well, that was a terrible game. Yeah, I, I was thinking this as well. It, it was a terrible game. <laughs> It was the it last was few overs, I, ten I, overs. It so forty nine overs aside, I reckon that. So where are we? Ninety eight overs. I reckon for eighty eight overs, it was one of the worst games of cricket you've ever seen. And then because of, but and because of it, largely because of incompetence, actually, drop catches, missed chances, poor batting from a South Africa in the first half, it became close, and therefore there was a bit of tension involved. But I don't think it was a great game at all. It was awful. Yeah. <laughs> so the question I was going to ask is that. Is it especially the case in the World Cup that games have been that good and haven't been as close as we thought they'd, or thought, or I think crucially the word hope they would be? Are cricket games actually just a lot more one-sided than we like to think? Well, it feels like in this World Cup, Butch said at the start of Australia-Bangladesh today, we almost had a good game and it feels like there's been a lot of those games where it's either been, not so much today because the total seemed too high, but we've been building towards a really exciting climax and then the, the chasing side generally have just collapsed and, and, we, and we've seen it in I mean the Australia West Indies one well, that should have been an absolute classic and West Indies in the end didn't really get that close um, again Pakistan England looked like it was going to be an absolute classic in England just again let it slip towards the end there well, they, they were they were perhaps three deliveries you know the the end of the end of Mohammed that the over that Mohammed Amir got um, Josh Butler out. They were probably you know the get out of that over and it, and it might have been a great game. Yeah. Um. You know that 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 was probably the closest for me as being as being the perfect storm of um wickets being at an absolute premium, but but changing the game every time one was taken. Um, batting team being able to score runs, boundaries being found. Fi- you know fielders having to put their body on the line the whole time to save every run. That was as close as it came to sort of the modern classic whereby lots of runs close game brilliant um, but unfortunately you know England in the end didn't play that well got within 14 of, of chasing down the highest total ever in a, in a World Cup and it kind of just about fizzled out but boy it was a great a, game, boy though. it was a good game you know up until about three overs to go that was that's what I call a good game it, of cricket it wasn't another, like you say uh, New Zealand South Africa was not a good game in the sense of high quality New Zealand Bangladesh was another example of that where it got very close at the end basically because New Zealand almost blew it not because it was a, a classic that we'll talk yeah. about as a yeah absolutely and I guess I, I I guess in in some ways it depends on the teams playing too. If if you have uh, if you have an if you have an unfancy side, problem with yesterday's game, South Africa New Zealand, was there were two two teams that you you would expect better of, I suppose. Um, one side wasn't expected to beat the other. There wasn't an underdog necessary necessarily. The narrative was that South Africa desperately needed the points just to stay alive. But you expect better of South Africa anyway. And so the fact that it was two teams that should have been evenly matched that ended up making a sort of like a dog's dinner of a game that was really really bad, yeah. kind of to me made it a, a very average game of cricket with a, with a half decent finish. A lot we've mentioned it ourselves in this podcast and a phrase that I've heard started to hear people use is the top four as if there is an established top four no one was really saying that before the World Cup they weren't saying that this top four will be the top four people weren't writing off Pakistan, South Africa, West Indies quite no. the way the table looks at the moment but I'd have expected Afghanistan to have nicked a couple yeah, of points by ab- now absolutely but one thing that I think has been quite striking for me I don't know what you guys think about this is there's a quite clear gap in athleticism between the teams who are in the top four and basically the rest Pakistan, West Indies, Sri Lanka, Afghanistan to an extent Bangladesh and even a, an ageing South Africa team are so far behind the top four teams in athleticism and energy in the field. Um, there's been talk on Twitter as well um, from some quarters that oh, the, the, the one-sidedness of a lot of games shows why we shouldn't have had more teams in the World Cup. I disagree I totally disagree. I think they're wrong because actually the biggest gap in cricket at the moment is between the top two or three teams England, India and teams with the resources like Australia and then gap to the other four member teams the best associate teams I think uh, would have nicked games against the size of the bottom half of the table and you'd also have had to have had a completely different format which would have pitted yeah, which yeah. would have pitted teams you know, of similar quality against each other in which case you would have had more well theoretically you'd have had more close games wouldn't you um, you know I worked on the um, the ICC qualification for the World Cup down in Zimbabwe and where you had you know the, the West Indies should have been the sort of like by far and away the outliers and, and should have won the tournament they didn't they lost to Afghanistan and they only got through to the World Cup because of a, a dodgy LBL decision well Spain. yeah I, you say only I, again I was there um, and it, it didn't help uh, that is for sure but you know there's no even when the rain came down there was no guarantee that Scotland were winning that game it, they were still long, far enough away and with too, with so much at stake that things could have the, changed the fact that however close, yeah absolutely yeah. the fact that, they, that, that there was even a question meant that you know you could have had Scotland here instead of the West Indies in this one but you know the the point being that when you sometimes and this goes for pretty much for the New Zealand South Africa game yesterday sometimes sort of a lack of competence creates better drama 
you know, <laughs> teams that aren't as good playing against each other but might make it more fun to watch. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make it better, but it makes it more fun to the watch. The qualifier, that qualified a load of really, really exciting games. Yeah, exactly. And, and Afghanistan, I mean, it's not as though Afghanistan blew away the competition in that qualifier at all. They were very fortunate to get through. And then after losing two or three games early on, they yeah. had to win every single game to get through, which they did in the end. A kind of sporting miracle, if, if you like to, to, to pull that off. In Scotland also screwed up a game against Zimbabwe where they were where they should have won it and ended up tying it. Well, and, and Zimbabwe screwed up a game, you know, that, that it was their sort of do or die match and they, they messed up a, a run chase that they should have won. Was that against they, UAE, possibly? They made, a, they made a terrible call at the toss. Decided, I think it might have been against Ireland, actually. They, made a, exactly. they, they decided to, to chase on a, on a used deck and ended up ended up short. You know, that was, a ma- that was a great shame because I suppose it was a great shame for any of the teams that didn't make it, but it seemed more so for Zimbabwe because it was kind of their chance to try and, to try and get themselves back on the road again. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you worried that the likes of Brendan Taylor and, and and other guys who've decided to make their living elsewhere because simply because there was just nothing to be nothing to be gained from staying in Zimbabwe. You wondered how long they were going to stick around and and and, uh, and deal with it without proper Test match series, without being involved in the World Cup. So um, look, there's there's a there's a hell of a lot to be gained and a hell of a lot of jeopardy involved in all associate cricket. And at some point that th- there is going to have to be a decision made as to how much. Maybe it's the the World Test Championship. I'm not entirely sure about how you do it but as, as to as to to what level we're trying the great the game is trying to grow and whether or not um whether or not you just say well we're not going to bother because unfortunately it's just too hard for those teams to break through against the against the haves or whether you go sod it we're, we're gonna we're gonna go for this um in a, in a big way and try as much as we can despite the fact that there may be mismatches at left right and center to, to 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 bring them along but we talk a lot about the development of associate cricket but equally i think the development of full member cricket should be talked about as well the the number of games between the, the the big three and the lower four member countries is decreasing compared to how it was when you what, played the game. What and, and you, everyone played everyone when you played. But you right, but you can see why though, can't you? I mean, it's just no, exactly. it's you know the, the money the money is generated by India. India have no interest in playing against and playing against teams that they don't feel are worth are worth their while. Um, uh, and that you know the other England and Australia. Well, England probably do more of their fair share than the, than the other two actually yeah, as far do, as yeah. I'm concerned but but if well, nobody Bangladesh for a start which yeah which other, time, other teams aren't very inclined uh, to do. which it, uh, if nobody else is kind of joining in you, you're struggling to you're struggling to make any decent inroads there but we talk about development like Bangladesh a player like Mushvika who's been playing test cricket for like, longer than Alistair Cook has uh, he's only got 60 odd test matches you know it's hard for countries like that to, to improve if they're not playing as much and Joe you said on the way here you wonder like, where Sri Lanka will be in, in five ten years time well it, I mean it is the the cost of hosting test matches is is significant we know that the the crowds in certain countries are, are very poor we know that too hopefully the test championship reinvigorates something and gives these games more jeopardy there is something more to play for but but it is it is a concern where sri lanka and the West Indies would have said until a few months ago. I mean, that win against England in the Caribbean was was massive for for lots of reasons, but also for the future of West mm. Indian cr- Test cricket um, to show them that actually this is a this is a worthwhile this is a worthwhile format. The, the only thing that I the only thing that slightly slightly worries me about the idea of a test the Test Championship is this: is that having played Test cricket in in lots of different countries against lots of different teams, every Test match always felt like an event anyway. You didn't need you didn't need to be part of a of a you know of a league or, or something else in order to make it feel less than that um, do you think players nowadays coming through think the same I don't, I don't I have no idea you'd have to ask them but you know the, the key to it is this is that the reason the reason you might play a five test match series or a three test match series or the reason why cricket plays dead rubbers is because you move venues the 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 matches as much for the venue or the state or that particular country in the case of the West Indies as it is for any wider purpose Right. If it was, if all the matches were being played in the same venue and it was best of five and it got to three nil, you wouldn't bother playing the other two. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reason, the reason the game moves around the way that it does is not necessarily. It's nothing to do with the score in the series. It's got everything to do with taking the game to the next venue and creating, allowing the people in that particular region to go and see it. Um, and and it's a, a and test matches tend to be standalone events in the minds of the people that go to watch them. We tend to make up, you know, that because there is a narrative behind who the best test team in the world is. You know, you might get excited about that, you might not. You know, what, what it means in terms of the standings, the world standings for, for, for players and all that kind of stuff. But to the general punter who might see one day one day of a five day test match out of a series of twenty five days of test cricket in the Ashes, for example, the only day that matters to them is the one day that they're going to watch. I hadn't really thought that. So, for instance, say a Sydney. Test at the end of an Ashes series. Yes. If England have already lost it, that means a, 
huge does, amounts to the players. It means a huge amount to the fans who have gone to that game. It is a historic event in itself. Yes, you still watch the, Yeah, no, because they bought the bought the ticket to go to watch day one of of the of the fifth Test match. The fact that, of course, it's slightly disappointing to them that that, that, that there isn't a series on the line at the Test. But the Test in itself is is a piece of entertainment. The five yeah. or the one day that they're there or the five days of that Test match are a piece of entertainment on their own. No context is required for that. For the for the guys in the ground, um, you know, it's a it's a it's an interesting concept. It'd be really interesting to see how it works. I'm not saying that it won't work. I'm not saying there's no merit in it. I'm just saying that the game the game is not viewed in a sort of in a in a global two year cycle. Every series result matters because the people that go and watch it, the people who spend the money to go and buy a ticket, the day that they've gone to see it matters, or the test match that is in their region matters, no matter what the score of the series is. Yeah, I still can't get over the fact that not everyone plays the same teams the same amount of times as well for me that you're starting from an uneven base and kind of delegitimizing the, the competition to an extent but there's no easy solution I'm not saying I've got, I've got a way of fixing it this is what we've ended up with because this is the best they can do at the moment no and, and you, you've got limited amount of days in a year and test match if you're going to play a game that lasts for five days and you've got to travel and all the rest of it and you're and it's seasonal there's a limited amount of time that you can do all of these things. Talking of, uh, of, of dead rubber test matches, Mark Wood is a totally changed bowler since his St. Lucia test match. At least in the World Cup so far, this is a list of the number of balls delivered over 90 miles per hour. Mitchell Stark, 89. Joffre Archer, 63. Mark Wood, 52. Lockie Ferguson, 34. Rabada, 20. Everyone else is single figures. Mark Wood has totally changed England's plans. For four years, we played two spinners. Moe and Ali played every game of, of importance. Mark Wood's form has meant that England, basically, if he's bowling this quickly, he has to play. Well, Joffre Archer is... is Mark, I, Mark Wood was... We've talked after, a lot about Archer this podcast. No, I bet you have. No, but I'm, I, I'm not going to... This isn't a, a, a tirade a, a for or against Joffre Archer. It's basically basically what it is, is that after St. Lucia, Mark Wood and the... And the subsequent one day series in the West Indies Mark Wood was in he was already in England's squad he was already in England's plans and then he became he was a permanent fixture in the 11th so that hasn't changed anything you know Mark, Mark Wood was in the side he was he was going to be picked in that 15 regardless of what happened to Joffre Archer unless Mark Wood was injured he was in the 15 so there's no for me there's no shock here that that you know he's he's been a major part of their plans because he already he always but was his ODI record no, 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 is not, really no I'm not saying that and that's not what I'm saying I know his record was poor yeah. I know that but you saw how he bowled. You see, when it clicks and it goes well, that record is all of a sudden doesn't mean anything anymore, does it? And England and England were already very keen to have that in their side. What they didn't know and what they were waiting to find out was a whether or not they'd be able to get Joffre through the qualification. When the answer was yes, for me it was an utter no-brainer that he was going to be picked. They saw him and they went, "Oh, of course we're going to have some of that." And then suddenly, that's when that's when you have the idea. Oh, crikey, we got these two guys now. You got Tom Curran who sat on the bench. He doesn't look like getting anywhere near a game unless something something drastic happens um, they've left out one of the spinners you quite rightly said England have played two spinners in every game and generally speaking because of Stokes batting in the top five and whatever they can always afford to play two spinners they've ended up leaving them out the weather and some of the boundary sizes and whatever have, have meant that they've been able, flexible enough to change their plans um, and, and England's dilemma now is, is kind of like well how do we how do we cover every base and then of course what do they do Joe Root goes and picks up a couple of wickets so, yeah, yeah. you know the, the kind of the squad is the squad is perfect as far as I'm concerned I suppose the only one thing that I, I will hold my hands up and say I was absolutely adamant that um, Leon Dawson should make it into the squad as a as a proper backup for England's plan of going back again to what you said two spinners um, in every game and of course now they're, now they're down to one so they've kind of got a spare haven't they they've got a, 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 four, a, a number 15 who, who looks even further away from the action than Tom Curran but does. it kind of it kind of implies that Wood's former surprise the England setup. They've the idea of Mark Wood has always been this 90 mile power bowler mm. who can do these things but it, it actually they have been very those before have been few and far between. We also no, they have, but, I, but I, I, again, I go back to the fact that I swear to you that they that they saw what he did in St. Lucia, saw how he was training, saw that he was fit and that he was in anyway. I'm sure he's going to be in, but do you think he's, the shock for me is that he's been able to play four games in a row. That's, I mean, that's none, the one. None of us knew that's the that one. was going to happen. That's no, that the hasn't one. happened in his I'm still surprised career. that he no. is playing every and game. And I was watching that Afghanistan game I was saying the other day. I was watching him running in bowling 90 miles now when the game is done. I was kind of wincing, but he obviously has real trust in his in his body to, to see him through well, yeah. that length and run up seems to have really, that seems really to be worked it. for him because there's there's less there's less sort of downward impact and more forward impact. So I'm guessing he's not he's not taking quite I mean the he's still taking he's, he's taking angle. quite a lot but still but not perhaps as much as he was before. But yeah, I mean it's 
that that's all good. And then again, as far as a spectacle concerned, if you're if you're a, um, a neutral, then you know you, you watching watching the very quickest bowlers bowl against batsmen who are trying to hit them out of the park is that's proper, isn't it? Do you think there'd be a kind of element of competition between those two guys as yeah. well? Is that, yeah, yeah. Especially <laughs> when you're both going above ninety miles now. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. you know I remember remember playing with Goffey. Was that? I can't remember if he played. Yeah, he would have done. So the, the ninety going back a very long way. Um, ninety eight series test series against South Africa, and Donald was sort of at the peak of his powers, and he had the you know the tussle with Athers at Trent Bridge. But I think it was the Trent Bridge test match. Goffey's playing, and it, and we, it was the first time we sort of had speed guns on a regular basis, and then they were on the ground, so you'd have the the number come up a bit like at tennis with the serves, yeah, yeah. and the number would come yeah. up on the boundary edge. You know, there'd be a billboard, and the only thing Goffey was interested in was looking back over his shoulder to see how fast his next ball was and he'd be running up trying to bowl a fast one the next time it was it was bloody hilarious but that's what exactly what they're like so it wouldn't surprise me at all I remember hearing that um, was it, it might have been Ed Giddens test debut and he, and he ran up and bowled and it was 77 miles an hour and Goff just absolutely pissing himself on, on the final boundary well Gus Fraser was never a big fan I'll tell you <laughs> that Joe what was your moment of the day my moment of the day, well, it's kind of a moment of the week because yeah. the inning started yesterday, continues today, um, was from yeah, good old county cricket from oh, England's incumbent number three in test cricket, if you can recall which of those it is most recently. Joe Denley, of course, Absolutely. who scored, what, 60-odd in his last test innings. A really good 60-odd. Like well, it was yeah. a really good 60-odd. It feels a long old time ago now. Um, and he was obviously in England's World Cup squad, the Provisional World Cup squad, then got dumped, which I can understand the reasoning completely, but I felt a bit sorry for him that they picked him for something that he wasn't suited for. And then they were like, oh, well, you're not suited for this. We'll, we'll dump you, which seemed... Obviously. A, a, yeah, a, a little bit unfair. And then he went back to county cricket and I think he got three or four single-figure scores. And I think this, this happens sometimes with people who get an England call-up, then they're released from the squad and then they struggle in, in county cricket for a bit. And I, I kind of I felt, I hope this isn't going to be a really rubbish season for a bloke who was in Ashes contention. Then he scores an unbeaten 160, I think it was, yeah. uh, against Knotts in Kent's second innings. Really uh, good Knotts attack as well. James Pattinson yeah. leading that Knotts attack. So, yeah, no no Muppets there. Uh, and massive yeah, win. Jake Ball and, Jake and Ball, Coke, yeah, yeah. Luke Fletcher. I mean, really, really good attack. So, that in, uh, Kent win by 250 runs. Um, I wonder why Keezy was on Twitter all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Such a badger. Well. Uh, mm. And yeah, the really important innings for Denley. It's, it's just the right time to play that kind of innings as, as attention starts to sort of drift in the background towards the Ashes. Uh, and I mean, if they picked a squad tomorrow, I think I think he'd probably well, be in it. So on this podcast, quite a lot. The top three, if the first Test match was tomorrow, would probably be Roy, Burns, and Vince. Whether that if that's true or not, who knows? But that's kind of what we've kind of assumed will eventually happen. Mm. Vince actually playing World Cup games and not, not doing that well. <laughs> does change things because at least in the public perception it's like people think of him as this wonderful stroke maker we know how good he is to watch but it's a good job the public don't pick the team true true but that that is uh, that is important in terms of how people how fans at least perceive the the way the the squad selection is going well I wrote about this on on James Vince after that Afghanistan innings it sounds a bit an odd way of coming about this but it felt like quite a beginnings for the rest of his summer not necessarily for the rest of his World Cup because as soon as Roy's fit Vince isn't going to play again but he's not going to get many chances to to score runs before the Ashes starts he probably won't play a county championship match if England gets to the World Cup final I don't think there's time for him to play one so really these two matches the one that he's already missed the opportunity and, and probably Sri Lanka tomorrow if he's picked quite big innings for him in terms of a, a, his test future in a sense do you see, do you see that Butch or do you think that's no, I, yeah, I, I see what you're getting at no no I, I mean for sure the, the fact that the fact that if Jason Roy um, recovers as he's expected to do that he won't he won't bat until the, the first test match it definitely puts him under an enormous amount of pressure, but again, you know, he's not—he's not holding one of the spots at the moment, is he? Either that's the other thing. He started well. He decided he was going to open the batting at the beginning of the year, or, or, or Hampshire decided that he was. I, I think it was James's decision. And he said that England had said this is a good idea. Yeah, and, and it probably—it probably is for him. And he, and he made runs doing it. But then, you know, I, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that James Vince flaying county attacks of any standard is kind of any reflection of anything because it's because we know because he, he can do that and he will score many many runs doing that um whether or not opening the batting for england in in, a, in an ashes test match is, is the spot for him i don't know so how, how do you see the uh seam bowler spots going assuming you have stokes plus three front line teamers 
who do you reckon hold the spots at the moment? Because Archer's Stokes, doing so well, Wood's doing Stokes so well. Stokes is the fourth. Yeah. Anderson and Broad will be first names on the team sheet, and then Wood and Archer will battle it out for the for the other one. I've not even mentioned Wood or Curran. You don't see Broad's under threat from Archer and Wood, so they. No, no, he might, he might be. I'm just saying he's the first name on the team sheet at the moment. But I mean, it's just very. If England do go on and. Mm. Win the World Cup or gets the World Cup final, and Archer and Wood have played such a big part in that. Yeah, it it feels like quite. It does feel mm. like Stuart Broad's a kind of man under pressure. And I've, he's bowled well when I've when I've seen him in yeah. intense cricket recently. It's not through no fault of his own, but yeah. it's just a lot of good options at the moment. Look, yeah, there are, but you've you've got a, a thousand wickets worth of options yeah. in the other two. You know, at, at the minute we're, we're so far away. I'm kind of I'm, I'm struggling. I'm paddling a bit here because I haven't really thought about it. But at the at the moment. It, that's that's the way it'll be. It'll be one of Wood, one of one of Wood or Archer as the third seamer, with Wokes as somebody that can um, can do something for you if you need him to. So I, I agree with you, but I do think it's amazing that we're not talking about Wokes, who is excellent in English conditions, and Sam Curran, who is player of the series against the best test team in the world. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I, I totally agree. But England have a, a sort of an embarrassment of riches in a in an area where. Uh, particularly at home, I think, in an area where um, a lot of the players that have represented England in Test cricket over the years have, have been—they've been interchangeable because they've all been so damn good. If you've got a if you've got a juke ball in swinging and seeming conditions, then there are any any number of players that you could have as your as your second, third, fourth seamer in those conditions. It, it changes when we go abroad, and that's that's kind of been an issue for us. Um, and it might be, you know, the thing is, it, may, it might be that England don't need raw pace of Wood and Archer at all in the Ashes if it, if it swings all over the place. Well, that, and that's a, that's a very good Curran point. Might, might, Wokes and Curran might do very well. Thank you very much. What, what and also, Mark Wood blasting his way through 10 overs every four or five days mm. is, is very different to us. Yeah. I mean, th- this is the other point. This is a five-test series. The reality is it's they're a, all going to play. It's gonna, a, a five-test series played in about, in about 28 days. Yeah. I mean, what is it? Thir- 35 days? 40 days? Oh, that's right, yeah. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So in, so both teams... Listen, both teams have a very good chance of getting through to the World Cup yeah. final. You'll have the sort of like the euphoria of the, you know, and the, and the fatigue that, that will come in after, with, inevitably with the come down from a World Cup whether you win it or lose it, whether you win or lose a semi-final, to that matter. Um, and then you kind of, it will feel, I, it will, oddly enough, it will feel like it's slightly after the Lord Mayor show, the mm. Ashes. It will, and it will feel like that to everybody if England gets to the final. Apart from Josh Hazelwood, who's, <laughs> who's, who's, who's desperate really to un- go. Who's really <laughs> unhappy about not being here. Yeah. Do, you think he, he, do you think that will really be the case once the Ashes actually starts? Yeah. I, no, I, I, listen... You can't. The thing, what you cannot do is fool fool your mind or your body into not being fatigued. You can't. That that's very difficult to do. Um, and for both teams, it will be it will literally be a battle, a, a survival of the fittest. By the time you get to that fifth Test match, both sets of teams are going to be on their knees. It'll be quite weird for the uh, the, the Test specialists coming into back in the side after the the World Cup lot would have gone through so much. Whether it is a, a World Cup win or a World Cup. Agonising defeat. And all of those things are, are there to be factored in, aren't they? I mean, you just think you just said it. That's another another consideration. You're going to have players coming in absolutely fresh. This is the big part of their summer. Some of the others might have already had the big part of their, their summer, or might be feeling slightly jaded or whatever. And so it will require a, a huge squad effort and management and everybody else to kind of galvanise everybody back. To and the there is so out. little time between the World no Cup time. final There's and no the, the Ireland the Test. World Cup final and the Ireland Test match. There's no time between the Ireland Test match and the first Test of the Ashes. And there's no time between any of the Test matches and the last one I mean it's it's pretty it's pretty unprecedented territory for um for the two teams what do you, in, what do you incidentally think? James James Anderson's in decent touch yeah, isn't he? Doing right. 20, not, not 28 wickets to 8 I think in Division 2 it's that sort of <laughs> thing if he's playing club cricket he'd be like come on mate this is embarrassing move up a couple of teams <laughs> but not yet 9 for 47 against Derbyshire across two innings elsewhere uh, Warwickshire picked up a, a, a genuinely really crucial win over Yorkshire Dom Sibley in the runs again but it does mean that Surrey are in a bit of trouble. They're second bottom, not mm. not got a win yet, and they're lucky that not so behind them uh, having better game more. Shocking as well. Uh, yeah. so basically, the two teams that people were tipping for the title at the start of the season. You're you're a sorry Surrey man. Are, what, what's what's gone wrong? Well, Surrey have had a they had a an, an interesting or a latest a start whereby they played the one championship game and before the the fifty over stuff yeah. kicked in. Um, and in the midst of that, they kind of lost half of their team. Not uh, not. Not just to England call-ups, which they legislate for, but injuries as well. I, I mean, Oli Pope going run, down, they? Um, Jordan Clark, Ricky Clark. Rory Burns uh, is the latest Rory one. Burn. Yeah, I mean, just kind of injuries have hit them really Sam hard. Curran as well. And so it's been... Uh, you know, so a, a, 
a combination of um, of England call-ups, which you expect, injuries that you that you can't legislate for necessarily, um, and just a kind of you know a little bit of trouble in, in in trying to force results. If they scored runs in the first couple of Championship games, but, but weren't able to turn them into wins, um, and have got knocked over a couple of times as well cheaply. So I, I don't think that they're going to be in trouble come the end of the summer, come the end of the shake-up. Um, could do with the sunshine a little bit. I think they tend to play play their their best cricket in proper proper conditions as opposed yeah. to quickly on because Morkel, which was always the way with us too in, back in the old days Morkel's had a decent good season but he's not been I mean, he's not having an Anderson at, season it was last year he was taking them at 14 and just yeah. looked too good for everyone and I guess he could probably do with some slightly harder tracks and, and, and that, that would help as well yeah I mean, but you know no, no excuses I mean I, I was at the Lords for the, for the 50 over final and I've seen Somerset play two or three occasions uh, from the commentary box in the lead up to the final and I just thought like, this, this looks like a really really good side it looks like this could be their time simply because they had um, lots of players who've been around for a very long time who aren't particularly old and who kind of who are peaking and, it, and I said it before the, the final started on air I said look if they win one there's a, there's a bloody good chance that they might start winning lots you know it was a very similar thing happened to, to the Surrey sides in, in the so, in the mid 90s so I was going to ask you about that yeah. so that's the kind of thing that pundits say all the time. Yeah. That you're actually a player who went through a, a yeah, spell yeah, as a bet. So it, why, it, why do you think that is the because case? Because it had been because you know, for for a very long time it was oh you know lots of talented players all that you know should be winning trophies left right and centre and you kind of and, and when you don't win them and you don't have any understanding of how to of, of how actually to do it it starts to become sort of like a self fulfilling prophecy whereby you kind of you get to the point where you should win you, everybody collapses and you know, you know the, the pressure gets too much because you've lost so many beforehand um, you haven't had a taste of, of what it's like um, and and therefore it rolls on and on and on and we we broke that duck ninety six we won a Sunday league ninety seven we won the bench edges blanked out in 98 and then 99 2000 2001 2002 2003 it was trophies galore um you kind of um you get you get the you get the taste for it and then you and then you start and you completely forget that losing is a is a is a possibility that's the that's the key must thing. be quite a fun feeling to have, fun. i remember salisbury saying that he, he said particularly with him when him and Zach were going mm. so well you guys would turn up at a ground but like, well we're going to win this game. It's just, yeah. it was almost like how quickly you it's do it. Would you get a free day at the end of it? Is it? It's not a, and, and also the, the fun of it was, is that you could, you could find yourself in, in a position where, where surely there's no chance that you're going to win and you win. You know, that sort of thing would happen as well. And there'd be no, you know, it would simply be a case of, oh, for crying out, crying out loud, lads, how have, we, how have we let ourselves get into this? I remember we won two games in that period following on. And both times, I remember us all being in the dressing room, having gone up, gone up, having everyone in there sort of waiting for the knock on the door. What are we doing? Are they going to make us follow on or not? And we're all in the dressing room going, go on, make us follow on. And the knock came. I think Gloucester did it, did it once. We'll have you follow on, lads. And we went, went out, got millions, bowled them out, <laughs> batting last. And Hampshire did it as well at Guildford, where you know we could, couldn't, we actually could not believe that they asked us to, to, to bat again on that particular occasion. Especially at Guildford as well, at right? Gil- yeah, Guildford, Sackling, yeah. Souls. They asked us to bat again. We got 450, and the you know following on lead of 200, one by 100 runs. You know, it was kind of like, well, of course, of course, that was what was going to happen. And there does seem to be a bit of that belief around Somerset now, and yep. they've they've got the advantage which you guys didn't really have of that team. You still had a lot of international call-ups. Somerset probably aren't going to have any. many or any like Lewis Gregory is doing unbelievable things but you can't see him in an England test side uh, Jack Leach probably unlikely to, to get a game this summer I wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought uh, and then they've got the, quite a few young players coming through who haven't really got this kind of bridesmaid tag about them and especially now they've won a trophy some of them in their first well, year you say that about Jack Leach you know he, he might I mean it would take a you know it would take us having the sort of heat wave we had this time last year um, you know through, which is through, not looking <laughs> likely no, this not point. looking likely but if it, you know through July and August yeah. um, you know I, I, I would say that it's unlikely that England would have their two spinners be be Rash and Mo again in a test matches I just don't, I don't get it I didn't get it when they did it in the winter simply because you know Mo is Mo is a much more effective bowler when he's he's given the task of kind of being in a, being attacking and Rash is always going to be an attacking bowler because he didn't possess the discipline mm. to be able to, to do anything else. So it, for me, it was just daft. You got Jack Leach in the squad. You have Jack Leach bowl from one end all day, rotate the rotate the seam as if it's not spinning. He'll go at two and over for you, and then everybody else can attack. So for me, if England do play two spinners in the Test match side, then they pick him and Moeen. Uh, yeah, That's, that would be my. And they've also yeah, they've, because well. of the options we've talked about earlier, they've got the flexibility to do that. They could, I mean, they could. You could Correct. easily have two seamers, Stokes, two spinners. I mean, that's yeah. absolutely that's that's uh, all yeah. bases covered, absolutely. really. Um, very quick words on 
Dom Sibley has scored an insane number of runs in his last 10 first-class games. Seen a lot of him. What was your take on him? I saw him a bit when he was at the Oval and I've seen him on a handful of occasions um, since he's been a bear and I, I must be a bit of a bad omen for him because he didn't t- tend to score any but I've, I've kept an eye on the fact that he, what was he, 500s in a row if you ca- if you carried on from the yeah. from back in the last season. You know, he's obviously had one bad game and then scored loads of runs yeah, this he's week. Got a, he's got a, a temperament for scoring runs in a, in, an, in a period of time or an era whereby people who can do that and churn them out regularly are like go- are like gold dust. So um, he has he has got a great he's given himself a great chance. The great thing about the the issues that England have had at the top of the order is that there is room for somebody. There's room for everybody actually. Every every there's two openers in every 18 teams. There's a 36 players have all got at the beginning of these this year had the chance of putting themselves in a and a lot of them for Ashes. have already had a go, which puts which puts yeah. simply in and, a and further advantage. But I also don't think that that rules any of them out. You know, it's kind of like that. Such has been the the issue with scoring runs at the top of the order that just because you you've had a go and failed before doesn't mean that you won't that you shouldn't get a go this time. But Sibley has put himself sort of head and shoulders above everybody else isn't he do you think Jason Roy can bat in the top three in test cricket I, I, if he did I'd like to see him at three yeah I don't, I'm not entirely convinced I mean he'd, he'd do whatever he was asked to do if he was picked I'm sure I mean all players do um, but I, 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 I would say that his game would be more suited to come in at three a la Ponting rather than um, one and two in any conditions not just in England because I, just, because I think it, being able to go out there and react a little bit to the game would be a better thing for his, for his mind yeah. um, than having to go out there with, with an, almost a set you know opening is a set rule a set game some guys were more aggressive at it and some guys would you know look to, to occupy the creeks but at the same time the game is you're there to, to set the game up and over when you've got sort of two days staring at you to, to bat that can be quite a daunting thing I think Jason's much better when he's reacting um, and three would be a better spot for him Joe there's a new magazine out Wizard Cricket Monthly out today it is today Thursday or yeah yesterday if you're listening on Friday yeah. <laughs> not, not giving the game away too much but there's a fantastic feature that is a uh, well, it's on, it's on the front cover. It's the best young players in the world. Uh, and you go through a top a top 40. Yeah, so we did this last year. It's going to be an annual thing in the magazine. Last year's number one was Kagiso Rabada, who well, by, our, by our qualification no longer qualifies because he's, he's 24. Well, I, I want to read out so last year's number one. top 10 because it's a real who's who of international cricket. It was a good, a good year. 10, Shadab Khan, 9, Lungi Ndidi, 8, Matt Renshaw, 7, Kusar Mendes, 6, Rishabh Pant, 5, Kuldeep Yadav, 4, Babar Azam, Three, Aidan Markram. Two, Rashid Khan. One, Kagiso Rabada. So, you know, if you're making the top ten of that, you're doing well. So quite a few of those guys no longer qualify. So Azam, Markram, Rabada, no longer in the in the list. So a couple of things I want to mention from it. So number one, there are three West Indies in the top 11. Three West Indies in the top 11, uh, all of which were in their World Cup <laughs> side this World Cup. So, uh, I mean, I think it's giving away too much to say. Poran, O'Shane Hep- Thomas and Hetmeyer. Hetmeyer, yeah. Yeah, Poran was one of those ones, every time we saw him bat, we had to shove him up another five spots. Because <laughs> he, he had, hasn't got any record to speak of, really. But, but you just no, have to watch him bat. And no, I mean, he, was, he was meant to have taken the world by storm two or three years ago, really. He's had um, IPL franchises. He's, he was a standout player of the West Indies under-19s. 24. 15 maybe I don't know he's three now so he's not not that young yeah no well I mean he's he's still bloody young compared to you and I mate (laughs) (laughs) he uh, yeah and he he had startling ability so he stood out put it that way Um, and so it's good to see him kind of start to come good on that um, undoubted ability and there's another couple of West Indians in there as well Alzari Joseph who might have been part of the World Cup squad if he'd been been fit injured himself in the IPL after taking Ridiculous fit of six for eleven or yeah. something ridiculous in the IPL. So it's an incredible. We're not going to give away the game here, but it's an incredible top ten. Genuinely brilliant cricketers. I'm gonna I'm gonna question one of your your picks in the top ten, sure. which is we welcome criticism. Prob- probably quite controversial. <laughs> uh, young Sam Curran is is sixth. I know he was playing the series against India last year, but I'm just looking at the names well, first, first below him so a bit. Explain how we, we initially went to all our overseas correspondents and asked them for their suggestions. Ended up with a long, long list, which we put down to a top 40. Then when we got our top 10, we threw it to 25 journalists who then voted, put that 10 in order. Then we had our results. So basically, don't uh, just sounds, blame me. Sounds fairer than the, uh, the, the Prime Minister. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Might need another uh, podcast for that one. Contest. A lengthy one too. Um, so yeah, that's how we ended up with our ten. Sam Curran at six. I think that reflects um, that that people, probably particularly people we asked, that Test cricket is is still the the prime format for them. And this is a guy that 
had a very significant role in beating the best test side in the world last summer. So that 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 still that still counts. The fact obviously he's not part of the World Cup and wasn't Some even serious impact in your first test series. Yeah. Exactly, not bad. Really. Not bad. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. IPL hat trick. Not yeah, so long. Not bad. A lot of people thought IPL is he going to be able to do that? And actually, he did pretty well with the, the opportunities he had. Yeah, and I guess that when you're asking people for best young players, it's not actually clear what you're asking because you could base that on what they have already done or how good you think they might become. And, yeah, and I guess left. Sam has... See, that's the beauty of youth, Yaz. You've just <laughs> been very poetic. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Uh, but I guess that uh, Corrin is somebody who's been, is, is high up on that list because of what he has already done and the reason perhaps why I don't, also I don't think he has Because I think yeah. Curran's batting particularly, we, we're only just seeing the, the start of that. I mean, he hasn't got a phenomenal first class record yet but like, if he's he bats in Surrey's top six for a whole season I think he could score it's a, incredible a he's runs. never scored a professional 100 yeah somebody that good still not scored a professional 100 Mark you've got an album coming out I do I do I do now playing coming out 5th of July yep um, in, in the latest Wizard Cricket Monthly you have a feature on your perfect day out in the cricket and I'm going to read <laughs> a little extract <laughs> from it so there's a, there's, a, there's a section which is your company so the people you'd like to be with and you said, I would love it. I would love to be able to talk to a spaced out Jimi Hendrix through the subtleties of the game of cricket. I reckon he'd like it. Um, is, your, is your music influenced by the great man? Well, I guess so, yeah. I mean, you probably wouldn't, know, wouldn't pick it out if you listened to it, but the reason that I, um, it was the reason why I picked up the guitar. And the, uh, obviously, his, his kind of great claim to fame is sort of like the guitar histrionics and all that kind of stuff and the, and the weird and wonderful sounds that he pulled out of a Stratocaster back in the day. But I also think that his, uh, you know, his, his lyricism and the sort of like the, the colours and the, and the pictures that he paints with the words that he wrote back, back in the day was, um, were, were, were stunning and kind of a, a massively overlooked part of his musical canon basically because he was such a bitching guitar player. So, um, yeah. But, the, you know, the thing about him loving cricket, see, I like. I love that match. idea. I love that a idea. Test match. Jimmy sat on a you know a, a deck chair somewhere down at Hove on a on a blistering hot day. You know, he'd probably. I don't know if he'd be asked to leave, but he'd have to be able to smoke his his his, his sort of his uh, his thing of choice. And you know, you'd kind of sit there, and his mind would be opened up to all the possibilities of something that was that you know that time had such a part to play in. You know, part of being a, the musician that he was was that he he had an unbelievable command over time the gaps in between and all that kind of stuff and cricket is about the gaps in between right and we have some I mean there are some of the best guitarists of all time I've loved Eric Clapton big cricket fan yes yeah, uh, Ed O'Brien of Radiohead massive cricket fan yeah, is he, that right he, I did yeah. Not know that yeah. so we had an interview with him and he really compared the, the experience of of how he perceived test match batting to how uh it felt when you just everything clicks playing the guitar in a gig, which I thought was a really nice yeah, embarrassing. Cool. I, well, I hadn't, I've not read that, so that's cool. I should read we'll that. We'll dig that one out for you. The, the way in which you just talked about Jimi Hendrix one thing, just because you had a, a, real, a real passion came out there. And do you feel now that since you've stopped playing the game that your, your real passion is... Is actually music over, over <laughs> cricket. Probably always was. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, right? No, no, no. I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's an interesting thing. I don't know when it happened. Listen, when I was a kid, from the age of probably about five or six, I was, the, I was such a cricket badger, right? I, would, I had score books filled with... Uh, I'd, I'd collect the, the Surrey yearbooks, and Surrey yearbooks, they still do them now. I'm guessing all the counties do them. And in them, you'd have the scorecards for all the games. So I would know the players by name and their initials or whatever of all of the opposition that Surrey played in. My old man was obviously playing for Surrey at the time. And I would play dice cricket games and score them in my room. You know, and I had reams and reams of this stuff. A proper like, cricket oh, tragic. Mate, I, yeah, yeah pictures on the wall were all, you know, torn out of Wisdoms and whatever. And, um, you know, the pictures, I remember a picture of Rob Bailey, I think, on the, on the you know, just bizarre stuff, right? And and I was, it was entirely my life. Uh, I'd always been, always been involved in, um, always been involved in music. I was involved musically at school, but I didn't, I didn't play an instrument. I didn't learn musical theory. I didn't understand anything about it or whatever. But I was a singer. Um, and then, I don't know, probably about age of 12, 13, I persuaded my mum to buy me a guitar because I'd seen a, I don't know whether it was watching Brian May at Live Aid or catching a, catching a, a, a Clapton concert on television or the first time I heard Are You Experienced or whatever on my headphones, you know, on my little Walkman. I can't, I can't remember what the point was where I decided that having a guitar had, was the thing. But it didn't override my sort of cricket badgerism. And then at some point between sort of being, becoming a professional making my first first class 100 getting picked to play for England at some point cricket became a job 
a job that I enjoyed a lot and loved and was and, and was unbelievably grateful to play but maybe it, it stopped lighting my fire in the way that it did when I was when I was very young in terms of that kind of like absolute badgerism wanting to know who was scoring what what was going on everywhere and cricket and the music replaced that for sure yeah. and does me did does music help provide a release at that point as well when you're on tour and you I can't think it was Gus Fraser talking about different teammates he has who struggled on tour and were too in the bubble and couldn't break out and I'm pretty sure he gave an example of you being able to go off and play guitar either even if it's just in your room or playing for some of the other guys that just allowed you to detach yourself from it for a bit yeah I guess so I mean it's a I guess it's a common theme I know Joe Root's kind of got a little, got himself a little Ed Sheeran and Martin and Dale Stain's got one and the, the, the guys all around the place are kind of looking just for to have that something else to do I mean not everybody's going to um, do you know sit there like Athers and, and get through book after book after book I did that for a while too you know I, and looking back on it I almost some some part of me thinks I wish I hadn't taken the guitar with me on every trip because it was kind of an excuse to stay in my room and play um, and I could have been out there you know look chasing around the country in much the way as I've done since I've had the, 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 the fortune to be involved um, with the IPL over the last few years for Sky you know, so I get the chance to travel about and go and find out about weird and wonderful things that have gone on in the country, see, see stuff that I would never have sought out when I was playing um, but at the same time it did, it did kind of it et up hours and, um, and I'm guessing that um, <laughs> Mr O'Brien from Radiohead will tell you that with touring is you know most of the time you're not doing what you're there to do you're you're hanging about waiting for something else he's probably cricket, cricket he's probably cricket badgering when he's, he's out on tour cricket badgering. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> he don't, you don't think he's taking the guitar back to his room he's got his he's got his wisdom well, no, and this is what Felix might said to us that he's always following the test scores when they're Guinness yeah there you go. Yeah. yeah so when you're uh, an international player you play what 70 odd test matches and you're you just you just said that Cricket was no longer your, your 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 real passion. It became something you loved doing. That was your job. Um, it was my job. Yeah, it yeah. was my job. And do do you think that uh, positively or negatively affected your game or nothing at all? Neither neither way. I mean, again, it's sort of with with the benefit of hindsight, you can kind of look look back on on certain things and wish you'd been, you know, maybe. Just sort of more, more dedicated to kind of instead of instead of going back to the hotel and having a shower and going going down to going down to the bar and having a couple of drinks, you might have gone back to the ground and had another net or gone. Steve Smith, you, you start, you start your bat shadow batting at seven in the morning, all that kind of stuff. But that, but that wasn't that wasn't me. I couldn't. I would never have been able to. I'd have driven myself crazy if I'd have done that sort of thing. And I saw plenty of other guys drive themselves crazy doing that sort of thing. So you just had to be who you who you are, who you were at the time. Uh, well. Now Playing comes out on July the 5th. Mark, thanks so much for coming on today's show. Really enjoyed it. Really appreciate it. Joe, no problem, no thanks problem. for coming. No worries, Jazz. Um, this has been the Wizarding Cricket Daily Podcast, brought to you by Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of exciting memories since 1979. Remember, folks, you can subscribe to the podcast, not only on the, spot, on, on the podcast app, but also on Spotify. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Joe, who's on tomorrow? <laughs> tomorrow is Phil Walker of course he's back um, and Manoj Narayan Indian journalist ah. to look back at uh, English Lanka wonderful wonderful news as I said if you haven't already subscribe tell your friends goodbye Podcast Network.